adventure travelers, and welcome to another episode of Tales of Tavat, a Genshin Lore podcast. Last week, we discussed the Akitsu Kimodameshi event, aka, if I said it wrong, the Test of Courage Yokai event. We're definitely still having some serious nightmares of Paimon wugabugging us to this day. Orphan alert! We're looking into our tragic backstory and confronting our daddy issues. So welcome to the stage, Linny, Lynette, and Fremenet, the Fontaine Trio. Are you prowling the streets in search of family for your sad orphan kitty cat eyes? Well, check out our magical site, talesoftavat.com, where visual companion pages for each episode will mysteriously appear before you. Our site also includes links to our past seasons and special episodes, artist spotlights from the community for every episode, wallpapers to download, and some of our favorite Genshin merch. Before we jump too far into things today, we did just want to let you know that there will be some very strong topics and themes talked about during this episode, including human trafficking, sex trafficking, we mentioned sexual assault a little bit, and also suicide. So just a forewarning to all travelers who are going to listen to this episode, the Fontaine siblings have some dark roads that they've been down, and we will be taking those paths. So just a heads up to anyone who's going to be listening in. Let us know what you think of this episode and what you'd like to see in the future by emailing us at talesatavatpod at gmail.com, following us on Twitter, talesatavat, or following us on Instagram, talesatavatpod. Additionally, if you want, you can buy us a cup of coffee on Ko-fi, which is ko-fi.com slash talesatavat. That being said, no one is buying these poor <laughs> orphans cups of coffee But before we jump into even finding out they are orphans, a little bit about their backstory, we are initially introduced to Linny and Lynette in the Tavat trailer that also has introduced us to Diluc, Ningguang, Sino, Dainsleaf, the unknown Natlan individual, and shows us the most beautiful scene of the travelers standing together in a bed of flowers. So before Linny and Lynette got released in Fontaine, what did you think you were going to get from them? Did we have any ideas and thoughts? Hats. <laughs> Lots hats. of big hats. I was kind of underwhelmed, mostly because everyone else looked so ready to fuck shit up. And then we have... Hello, I'm a magician. (laughs) Welcome to my show. And it was very cute and it felt very different, which made me excited for the region, maybe not the characters themselves. Mm -hmm. Playing it, however, I mean, that's a very different story. But yeah, I was kind of underwhelmed because I'm like, we just saw this fancy schmancy Anubis man. (laughs) Mm. Can we go back to him? (laughs) More I know. Yes, more Sino, more more dad jokes. But I liked the idea of them. I think I was just, I was so unsure of what was going to be brought to the table. Mm -hmm. And in regards to all the other characters, it was kind of like evident, or at least there was some semblance of like, we kind of know what they're about. In the scope of Tavat and its story, definitely Sino being a big character being the fact that they have Anubis iconography. That was important. Magicians, not necessarily the big godly stage <laughs> that, that we are used to. But now playing the story, fairly different answer. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tiff? Thinking back to that original trailer, 
My mind has gone completely blank, honestly. I think I paid the most attention to the trailer that was opening up to Fontaine. And that was the one I was kind of envisioning while you were talking. And I was like, why is Sino in that one? I don't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, oh, it's that other one. But yeah, I mean, at least from the, the latter trailer that we get that shows them i was very intrigued by their look and you know what they were going to end up being i liked the idea that they look like they're still kids and it looked like they were still being portrayed as kids and i I kind of liked that okay i know for me i thought that lynette was going to be a puppet that's all i knew i was like lynette has cat ears and is linny's puppet Thought he was like a ventriloquist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like or like a marionette doll. Like that's kind of where my head was going. And I know back in the day, I mean, it feels like it was back in the day, but it was just like what a few months ago. People really thought that was true. And when they released the Fontaine trailer that you just talked a little bit about, Arlecchino pushes over the cutouts of Linny and Lynette, and I was like, they're puppets. That was my like initial reaction. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still waiting for that to happen in game, though, like in the story, which I know isn't necessarily always the case. Like we kind of talk about it like we see, you know, I mean, it even works in in movies and stuff, too. Sometimes you see things that they end up either getting cut or they were put in there not to spoil another part of the story. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I want to see this whole scene where Arlecchino is talking to them and they're on stage and she's like, clap it. I want that. It would be interesting. I would hope that that would be them escaping the house of hearth. But that's just me. They ain't go nowhere. (laughs) Let's jump into a little basic overview of them. So we have Linny, Lynette, and from an A. Linny and Lynette are actual brother and sister, not twins, as many of us assumed. And then we have from an A, who is their adoptive younger sibling. And the three of them all used to reside together in the house of the hearth. And now they are living in like this hotel apartment thing together. I think they have an apartment together. I have it marked on my map. Yeah, they're in that one building, that's for sure. But is that the hotel, or did they relocate? <laughs> because I think it's still the supposed to be the hotel, right? I think so. Oh, does the hotel go down that far? Because, like, you can go into the hotel. That's, like, kind of where, like, we've gotten drinks with people before. And that's where we actually filmed in the Guns N' Roses event. Well, I don't know, because the main hotel that I think you're talking about is Hotel to Bard, right? But mm-hmm. the hotel that was sort of the location of the House of the Hearth is called Hotel Boofstedt. I don't know if I'm saying that right because I suck at French, but I think it means summer food. <laughs> Hotel yeah. summer food. We're just hanging <laughs> out, eating some beach grub, like it's so funny to me that it's <laughs> it means hotel summer food and it's like the most sad place in Fontaine <laughs> that's just filled with like despondent orphans. And that's like only one part of the House of the Hearth, right? So I don't know because it's not super clear if there's other locations, but it seems likely that there are other locations. Like there's got to be one, you would think, in Snezhnaya, but we're really not positive and for travelers who may not know the house of the hearth is where all the orphans go in shnezhnaya it is run by arlecchino currently but was run by the previous knave as well who went by the director where arlecchino goes by father very interesting (laughs) different paths they took with their titles there we've met a lot of characters in the past who have been a part of the house of the hearth or knew of the house of the hearth in the manga we start with it where we see Dottore asking Dilu and Kaya for permission to take their orphans. And they're like, uh, no, 
<laughs> no, that's not no. Kaya's like, get out of here with your blood debt. No way. Then we also see it in Inazuma. We've talked a lot about Momoyo. And we've also seen it in Sumeru with Alphonse. You know, the guy you could decide if he's going to live or die. Alfonso, yeah. Alfonso, yes. I don't know why I keep calling him Alphonse. You're just trying to be French about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Fontaine now. That's it. It feels French. <laughs> but Linny, Lynette, and Fremenet are all orphans that live in the House of the Hearth, have grown up in the House of the Hearth, and have now become Fatui members thanks to being considered, like, talented members of the orphanage crew. <laughs> yeah, and I guess we don't know what happens if you you have no talent and you get adopted <laughs> by the House of the Hearth. Well, we never see any other kids there, so... Hmm. Right, but we, we know that it's similar to the Shimatsuban and Inazuma, where it's like this orphanage raising these kids, and it's sort of designed to turn them into Fatui soldiers, in a way. So once the orphans are of age they are instructed to you know either continue doing missions for the fatui or to go out into the world and become sleeper agents for the fatui and spy on you know the other nations so it, it's very suspicious and seems very kind of cold and cutthroat of course we find out later that that might just be because of the previous knave who was running it before Arlecchino and that now that Arlecchino is in place there's like a little bit more freedom going on it seems like. And I, I love the point you made too Brandon about the fact that they go and spy on other nations because that's kind of their most strategic initiative that they have going on is that they go to these other nations take their orphans bring them in and then send them basically to spy on the nations they're originally from because they blend in and they already know the culture, yeah, which is wild. Like, how smart is that? I mean, I I know the Fatui is intelligent, but I guess like I never thought they were being strategic at the same time. <laughs> Besides getting the noses, <laughs> yeah, like they have a whole ass plan going, starting with the youngins. And I mean, this place has a lot of orphans, so they really do have a good pick. It's very disturbing because it's very like child soldier esque. I mean, start them young. <laughs> That's so fucking insane. But like, it tr it truly is like their mindset. And I hope we can we get to talk about it when Shnaya comes out. But it's very much like you know the indoctrination of fascism and but communism, specifically in the Russian sense. They start them young because if that's all they know, they will follow it to a T and not rebel. Yeah, it's very Jojo Rabbit. Like if you've seen yes. the movie Jojo Rabbit where the little kid, his imaginary friend is Hitler because he doesn't know any better. And he's been like growing up with all the propaganda saying that Hitler's the bomb.com. And so he truly believes that until one day he doesn't. And I won't spoil the movie. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> broke my heart. Oh. Yeah, I like hysterically cried in that movie. <laughs> Tears aside, we're going to actually talk about a guy who has a tear on his face right now, Linny. So Linny and Lynette are two of the first people we meet when we enter Fontaine. First person we meet is, is Lynette and she's just standing in the background like, hello. She's being a robot. <laughs> we're having weather. <laughs> And we then meet Linny. And I don't want to talk too much about the Archon line because we've done a few episodes about the Archon overall. And Linny, Lynette, and Fremenet have so much more to offer than the Archon line. While we do meet them, they're the first characters we meet. They have a big part in the Archon line. I think the most important part of the Archon story to mention with them is when we find out they're Fatui. 
Yes. Yeah, and then suddenly, like, oh, they're kind of interesting now, finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, really? I thought they were interesting right away. You liked their magic pockets yeah. that they were giving out. Oh, yeah. I was obsessed with them. Oh, their hot pockets? Hot, hot pockets. Pocket. Yes. Yum. I thought it was neat how Hoyo did it, too. Like, they kind of gave you enough time to go through the first Archon to get to the point where we do find out about them being Fatui to then change up their marketing and re-release some artwork about the characters and especially Linny's where he goes from having this like, you know, sticking his tongue out to having like the sourpuss and then his little card behind his back changes from his little cat in the hat guy to a Fatui symbol. I thought it was just really like they kind of swapped it all from like the positive we're magicians, it's fun to this is all I. This is all ruse, yeah. I mean, it sucked if you didn't get to that part yet because then if you're active on social media, then it spoiled it for you. But I think a a good amount of time before they re-released all those items and it's their little character banners and stuff. I, I thought that was just really cool it's such a great juxtaposition of how like yes they kind of bamboozled us but we understand that the city of font the the city of fontaine if you will the big boy city is all a facade Mm -hmm. and i can't wait till we talk about that because i have a lot on that and i have a lot to say about linny i have (laughs) i have quite an opinion on these three people and their little familial i like found family And this is very found family. But when we find out that they lie to us in the Archon line, I've never seen the Traveler act so cold to a person. (laughs) So pissed. Besides Scaramouche, like, never seen anything like that from the Traveler. I want more of it. Because it's something I've been missing from this game. We have the Traveler, and it's kind of the stand-in for us as the player. But they still have their own, like, story and history. And all of a sudden, the Traveler feels so much more like a character. Mm -hmm. And it just felt so good. So good to be pissed because someone lied to us because they're Mm -hmm. always lying to us. I was so shocked. I was as shocked as Traveler, I think. (laughs) I was like... What? Traveler has every right to be upset because we already got our back stabbed by child. Yeah, we know we're working against the Fatui. So for our friends and people that we actually just were like little fake attorneys for, for that to kind of come out was like, you didn't think to mention this? Like, Yeah, not at all. Like, we have client attorney privilege. You could have said <laughs> something. I could have prepared for this in cross-examination. And here I am with my thumb up my ass because you decided to not tell me the truth. I do think that Linny is ashamed of his position. As he should. (laughs) You think that he's ashamed of being a part of the House of the Hearth? Yeah. Linny finds his family unit, aka Lynette and Fremenet, to be very important to him. But he's done a few things where, like, you know, he didn't tell Caesar in his storyline, which we'll talk about in a a few minutes. He didn't tell him anything about them being Fatui and still seems regretful about that. He was regretful about not telling us. And even bigger lore drop for Linny is that he is slated to take over for Arlecchino whenever Arlecchino steps down as the knave. And when you talk to Linny about that, he specifically asks you not to tell Lynette and Fremenet. So I was curious about that because I don't know if he meant don't tell them that I'm going to be Arlecchino's successor or if he meant don't tell them that I'm terrified to become the new successor. Oh, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Because Fremenet also has conversations with him where he's like, I know that you think that you have to be like our big brother, but it's okay to like have your own 
conflicting feelings about things and to be sad sometimes. And it actually like led into them having a fight where Lenny was basically like, no, don't even say that. Like everything's fine and I'm fine with everything. So I think he's scared to show Lynette and Fremine to see that sort of vulnerable side of him because he's in such protector mode at all times. Yeah, he's very much made himself the protective older brother of the group and I would have liked to have been there when Lynette got her vision and like when they woke up after the whole incident, because I feel like Linny probably felt terrible. Yeah, totally. I feel like I took that little bit of like, we didn't tell you this, not as an as being ashamed, but a little bit more on the side of we are not allowed to tell you like almost a fear of getting in trouble for anybody finding that mm -hmm. out, especially for the other two. If we, we know that Linny would go on to be the successor so people would know him but like the other two if they were going to end up being these little spies in other countries and stuff having their identities come out isn't going to be a positive thing and where does that leave them in the fatui if they're not going to be high up and they can't work for them like does that mean they have a they have an expiration date that it would be an expiration date because if if one their identities are tied to him as the successor they already have a target on their back it's just bigger now if he's the successor well they also and i don't know if we want to back up and talk about how they came to be in the orphanage but they have you know because of how that all went down i think they feel like they have sort of a debt like they're indebted to the house of the hearth and specifically to arlecchino for taking them in you know because they grew up not only orphaned but they grew up homeless and running around the streets trying to hustle to make a dime so they could feed themselves it's truly all over twist i do think lenny feels a lot of like loneliness and very much is at odds with like living a dishonest life for the Fatui. But I think he would probably just see that as a necessity just to survive. And also like, how could he be at odds with something that saved his sister's life, essentially? So I think that's a good point. We should probably jump back and maybe start with Linny and Lynette and how exactly they ended up in the orphanage. I don't remember reading anywhere. Do we know how their parents die? I couldn't find anything about it, which is strange because we learn a lot about Fremenet's parents. But yeah, I couldn't find anything about Linny and Lynette's parents. So strange. But we know that Linny and Lynette became orphans at some point. They lived on the street. Well, they had foster parents. We know that, that there's at least a foster father in the picture. And Lynette has an ancestral trait that expressed itself when she was born with her cat-like features. So the lore makes it sound like that's just something sort of far back in her ancestry that can, you know, just suddenly express itself biologically. So more like a recessive phenotype. Yes, possibly recessive, yeah. And it's possible that she has ancestry in Mondstadt, specifically Springvale, because the only other people that do have this cat-like appearance happen to be in Springvale, as well as in Azuma, but we only know one, and that's Karara. <laughs> We've confirmed that she's a yokai, so that's a little different versus Diona and her father, Drav. This is part of their biology. Yeah. All I'm gonna say is that She's an oceanid. <laughs> I don't know where these cat treats came from when she's just a blob of water. But Brandon, <laughs> my mind went to someone going to the fountain and being like, I love my cat. I want my cat to be reborn. And they like sprinkle a little bit of cat litter into the fountain. No. Oh my gosh. 
And then that fountain reincarnated that cute kitty into Lynette. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> One of the melazines had to go vacuum out the cat litter from the fountain. <laughs> like it happened again. <laughs> <laughs> Not again. Drain, drain it. <laughs> I don't like that it's happening multiple times. But so Lynette, you know, she has this different appearance, which has always sort of separated her from, you know, other like normal looking people. And a lot of people are have even like been like, are you two really siblings? Like, how is that possible? So she's always kind of been on the outside to a, a degree. She caught the attention of some creepo pervert who was a noble person in Fontaine, who is, you know, a, quote, important person in Fontaine's nobility. And he was like, hmm, I want to try that. Oh, and ew. basically makes this known. And then their foster father is just like, okay, you can have her. And like shoves her into this guy's carriage when he's like, you know, on his way out. So she's basically was being sex trafficked, given over to this awful person by her own foster father. But then she is rescued by Arlecchino, who kills the man. And that is how she and Lenny end up in the House of the Heart. Never thought I'd be grateful for Arlecchino like that. But Seriously, mm -hmm. I never thought I'd be grateful for a harbinger. Right. I mean, look at Child. Well, I mean, but what did Child really do for us? He tried exactly. to kill us. He spooned me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's just you. Let's not forget that if he hadn't decided to go have his, like, bromance with the narwhal, <laughs> that Fontaine would have probably been destroyed much earlier. I don't know. I feel like Skirk would have jumped in a little bit there. No, no. Skirk doesn't care. Skirk was at the helm and was ready to harpoon that bitch. I mean, no. out of all the Harbingers that we have seen thus far, Arlecchino has done more for random and innocent people. She, as father, and even before she was father, she fucked around and found out and kicked the old dude, you know, to shit. No more sex trafficking. Haha, <laughs> get fucked. And saved innocent children and gave them not just a home, but like a purpose. And though there's something dubious behind that, they are no longer on the streets starving. I'd also like to point out that she has a pretty big side to saving all of Fontaine as well. Absolutely. And also, <laughs> she really likes Farina. Meanwhile, Farina has a voice line about Arlecchino where she's like, who? I don't remember who you're talking about. Oh, that person? Why would you even let your mind have room for someone like that? Stop talking about her. Such a yandere thing to say. She's so in love with her. Farina's like, you literally tried to murk me in the halls with my yeah. cat. <laughs> Stay away. Scared as hell of her. Which, I mean, she's got full-ass reason to be, so. Well, now that she's confirmed human, Arlecchino's like... Hey, little mom, let me whisper in your ear. No. And she's probably like, I got nothing else for you. Would you like some macaron? No. <laughs> I don't like it. I love it. But. So they end up in the House of the Hearth. And when they first get there, they're very, like, 
out of place and all the other orphans are sort of suspicious of them. And then there's this problem where Lynette is using a water pump at the orphanage, basically, and it breaks while she's using it. So everyone is like very suspicious of the two of them. And this is sort of, you know, a good example of Lenny thinking that he has to be the responsible older brother who protects her. So he sort of steps up and takes responsibility for the water pump and is like, I'm going to fix the pump. Meanwhile, he has no idea how to fix a water pump. <laughs> how to fix anything really because you know he's still just a kid who grew up on the streets he meets the person at the orphanage who is responsible for maintenance and replacing you know machinery and that person of course is from an a mm -hmm. and Lenny actually first becomes Fremenet's assistant, helping him in his workroom, and he learns a lot about mechanics and fixing things for the the orphanage. Oh, how the tables turned. Yeah, it's interesting because he sort of uses Fremenet as like an in to get in the good graces of the orphanage, but then as he's doing that, he learns, I think, partially through Fremenet how to interact with everyone and to get along well with everyone. And because he has that natural charm in his personality and that sort of intuition, he gets really good at interacting with the other orphans in the orphanage. And he's very slowly starts getting in everyone's good graces and coming up with, you know, ideas. You know, he just basically becomes more and more popular until most of the orphanage business is sort of revolving around him. Now, granted, <laughs> he's also being sent out on missions by Arlecchino to do shady shit for the Fatui. For example paying off a dirty cop in the Maison Guardianage who would like provide them with intel and scrub clean the effects of the House of the Hearth's actions because there was some dirty cop who kind of admired Arlecchino and there was you know some fun shenanigans where the dirty cop was found out and almost arrested and like Linny and Fremenet had to pull off this mechanical trick to save them so there's a lot of shady shenanigans and subterfuge going on that is sort of like his job in order to make his way through the ranks of the orphanage if i um had a band i think i would name them shady shenanigans <laughs> that's a great name i feel like fremenet could be your drummer yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Shady Shenanigan. The newest entry of To That Idol. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Alice is listening right now. She's about to go steal these kids from Arlecchino. I can just imagine a drag queen called Shady Shenanigans. Shade Shenanigans. Oh my God. I do want to take a moment to talk about how Fremenet got into the orphanage, though, because now it's like we've kind of met Fremenet and he's already in the orphanage. So we know Fremenet is younger than Lenny and Lynette. We don't know how much younger. I have my headcanon that they're 22, 20, and like 17. I don't know how accurate that is. That's my guess. But we find out that Fremenet has been in the orphanage much longer than Lenny and Lynette since he is the one who helps them get accustomed to it. And because of that, Fremenet has also been under the rule of the original knave for a very long time who was in control prior to Arlecchino and was a manipulative bitch. I mean, Arlecchino, I think, is a manipulative bitch as well, but just like manipulating in such a different way. So Fremenet grew up in the underground sewer area. What is it? Le I don't know how to pronounce it. That's why I was just going to say Live Sunday. <laughs> whoa, whoa, you have to say that more like straightforward. Say it while gargling the, the primordial oh seawater again. Do it. Gargle the Orbeez. Les sewer. Les sewer. 
Le, le sauvage. Le sauvage de Obis. I would just say the fluve Sandra is fine. The fluve Sandra. Thank you. Okay. So from an A, grew up in the fluve Sandra, which is the underground area of Fontaine. We have seen it multiple times, whether we're working with Navia and Spina de Rosa. That's where we had like coffee or tea with Mona. That's where Chevreuse is also from. So that is where Fremenet grew up. It literally says that like, like grew up hearing gunshots and drunkards fighting out in the alley and that he had like a very hard time sleeping because of that. But he had a home. He never met his father and he was under the impression that his father was just like this hardworking person. But he kind of also felt like maybe my dad isn't working 24 hour shifts and maybe my mom is trying to make me feel better for something. Well, yeah, but his mom also told him that his father was knee deep in debt and he, you know, realized that that's why she herself was working like from dawn to dusk every single day. Mm -hmm. And so Fremenet's mom was gone most of the day. And in the meantime, Fremenet started to slowly tinker with different mechanical items like clocks and robots, other clockwork items like pocket watches, and things like that. And one day his mom came home to the sound of like a ticking clock and she was like, what the fuck is that noise? And Fremenet was like, oh, I, I fixed the clock. And the mom was like, oh, you did? And she took the clock and it's presumed that she sold it <laughs> and brought home two slices of bread that Fremenet still can remember the taste of. So I think Fremenet started making money for his mom, unbeknownst to himself. At least she didn't go out and get a pack of Marlboros. I mean, that's what my mom would have done. So <laughs> it would have been my money too. Be like, I made this. I got this money. Mom, let's go buy bread. I'll go get that bread. Comes back with a pack of Marlboros. You're like, damn it. <laughs> And high on math. Yeah. Al and I with our similar ex life experiences. And our dads are the exact same person, but <laughs> not 15,000 miles away. So one day Fremenet's mom comes home and he has fixed up this pendant for her and he's super proud of it. And it plays music and his mom wears it every day, but he feels like it's never far away from him because she plays the music for him every night. It's very sweet. Yeah, it's like the one thing she refused to sell that he mm -hmm. fixed because it brought them so much joy. So they would just listen to it at night together. And you can tell that Fremenet is a very like soft child, that he's just doing his best to make his mother happy and be the best he can given the circumstances, especially because he doesn't know any better. That's my band name, by the way, Soft Child. Soft Child. <laughs> with an E, child with an E. With an E? Yes. I was about to ask, is it with an E? <laughs> One day, Fremenet's mom comes home and she just takes him with her. And he's like, mom, where are we going? Where are we going? She never answers. And they end up in front of House of the Hearth in Fontaine, whatever hotel that might be in. And the old knave grabs onto his wrist and starts to drag him. And his mom just like can't let go. And Fremenet remembers the moment of feeling like he was like a ship stuck in the cross section of waves that he was lost. Because everything with Fremenet is about water <laughs> and the ocean. Typically drowning. Yes, and drowning. And his mom like knelt down next to him. Gave him a hug, like kissed him goodbye and said to be good and let go. And then the old knave took him in. And the old knave basically told Fremenet one day, because he, in his free time, was trying to find his mother and couldn't. And she told him, your mother sold you because she was in debt. And now you're here. So stop looking for her. Give up. Like, you're one of us now. And Fremenet started to close off his heart at that point. And he became very secluded. He was already an introverted character. I personally believe that he had loneliness syndrome 
at this point, even though later on in his event, we find out that he doesn't have it, he openly admits that he does not suffer from loneliness syndrome, which is basically severe depression in Tabat. And when the new knave takes over, our Lucino, she realizes that Fremenet likes tinkering and she'll give him stuff to work on and one day gives him the pennant that his mom always wore, not knowing that he doesn't know the truth about his mom. But Arlecchino knows that he made that this is his mom's pennant. And Fremenet kind of looks at her confused and Arlecchino's like, what did the old knave tell you? And so Fremenet explains, you know, my mom sold me because she needed money. And she's like, no, no, that's not what happened. And Arlecchino actually gets really annoyed about it. Like that the old knave lied in the way that they did. And she tells Fremenet that they were so in debt that the debt had actually caught up to them that she was forced to sell their house and that they also wanted her to sell Fremenet to them, whoever these debt collectors are. And instead, the mom brought him to the house of the hearth, knowing that he would be safe there, even if it meant she wouldn't be safe. And so from that moment on, Fremenet assumes that his mother is dead. It's so creepy too because these money lenders are like we're taking your house oh we'll take your kid too like what like there's all this human trafficking going on in fontaine like what Mm -hmm. the heck like they would just buy your child from you like is it just like for the indentured servitude or something also just to be clear about one thing i think when the previous knave was around fremenet had been sort of emotionally beat down so much by her that he stopped looking for his mother and he didn't start again until after Arlecchino took over. So I think that Arlecchino probably knew he was looking for her and couldn't find any leads. So I think she gave him that pendant because I think she went out looking for the mom. Like, I think she was a little more involved. That's just my own personal take No, you're probably right. Because she really cares about these three. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no doubt that she cares about everyone at the House of Heart. I mean, outside of the trio. But the question is, do we think the prior director of the House of Hearth might have had connections with Dodore? I mean, I think you'd have to because you're all harbingers. True. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just like, with, with how cruel everything was, it feels like the prior knave was probably teamed up with Dodore in his experiments on children far more than this Arlecchino would have partaked in. But it's so creepy because the money lenders that wanted to buy from Ine from his mother, in some way they can't be connected to the Fatui. The you know, the mom took from Ine to the house of the hearth to save him from the debt collectors going after him. <laughs> so it's sort of like the lesser of two evils. Like, I'm going to save you by giving you to this awful orphanage yeah. that are going to make you do horrible things. And Arlecchino finally tells him that, like, your mom didn't abandon you. She saved you by giving you to the House of the Hearth. Of course, at that point, it's too late because we realize that the pendant has stopped working again when he gets it back because there's dried blood in its gears. And we realize that his mother's dead. So sad. It is a really sad story. These three have some of the most like heartbreaking stories. Because then the next important stories with them are how they got their visions, which are like even worse. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if things can really be much worse than you being orphaned, but... (laughs) Sold into slavery. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, imagine how bad those other people have to be. Like Beast, like Mm -hmm. they... It's the lesser of two evils, but that evil is kind of fucking bad. 
in general, having, I don't have a child, but I'd imagine selling them would be a really hard decision or giving them away or just being like, see ya. Especially if you actually cared. <laughs> Sophie's choice, Julia Child's choice, Fremenet's <laughs> choice. It's Fremenet's choice again. Damn it. No, Fremenet had no choice in this. No choice at all, but his mom did. From a mom's choice. Let's talk a little bit about them and how they got their visions. I know Lynette got her vision before Linny, but I'm not sure where Fremenet falls into line there. So let's talk about how Fremenet got his vision first. Fremenet is huge into diving, as we all know. And one day was out diving with some other kids from the House of the Hearts. <laughs> They're training for the Tavad Olympics. Oh my god. I think they were actually on a mission like an assignment from the House of the Hearth. No, nah, they were doing a 500 free. <laughs> so they're out diving and Fremenet says that he starts to get this intuition that something's wrong and he's in charge. And so he instructs the rest of the diving kids to start ascending. And for rare occasion, they really stuck to the laws of physics with this one. And <laughs> Fremenet notes that like, you have to ascend slowly if you don't have a vision because you it's just the way your body needs to do it. We don't want any spontaneous implosions of anyone happening. No death. And he starts to get weirder and weirder vibes. And he starts to realize that his equipment is malfunctioning. And as he's like getting ready to pass out, he's having this realization that other people might also be having their equipment malfunctioning he's like oh my god how many of them are gonna get hurt i really need to save them and he just has this like echoing thought in his head of like i need to save them i need to save them and the next thing he knows he comes to and he finds a way to rescue all of the children and get them to safety and afterwards he realizes that he was gifted a cryo vision and he decides afterwards that he isn't gonna tell anyone <laughs> about what happened that day or the story of how he got his vision because heroes don't tell their stories. They just are heroes. That's basically his mindset because he loves reading fantasy stories and things like that. What type of shit of like heroes don't look at explosions is this? <laughs> but also now this this makes me think of like, okay, we have the theory, which I think it's a well-proven theory at the moment of Dead Friends Club being Animo. Cryo, is it Dead Moms Club? No, no, no. Cryo is definitely having two different parts of yourself. Like with Eula, for instance, she has this outside look of vengeance will be mine. I'm a member of the Lawrence clan, blah, blah, blah. But on the inside, she actually really cares. And she just wants to better not only her life and kind of break out of that, but she wants to make her family's lives better and the people of Monset's lives better. You have Shang Yun, who doesn't show his wild free side and really doesn't get to have as much fun as he might want to because he has to be stoic and stuff to keep his yang energy in line. You have Kaya, who hides the secret of being Conrian while also living his life as a knight and being like the flirty, charming guy that he is when he's really probably kind of sad on the inside. But all their moms are also gone. Yeah, but you could say that about pyro people. Like, all pyro people's dads are basically gone. So they're Disney. <laughs> or I shouldn't say pyro characters' dads are gone, but they have dads that are related well to them. But I think with Cryo, it really is that, like, dual personality. Because Fremenet is described as cold and icy-hearted. And he's, like, a an assassin of sorts for Arlecchino. But then when you talk to Linny or Lynette, they describe him as soft naive innocent warm-hearted so living that double life i think is a big deal for the cryovision holders 
And then you have Layla, who's just sleepy. Uh, Layla lives <laughs> the biggest double life of them all. She literally has a shadow self <laughs> that comes out. <laughs> she's sleep deprived. She's so sleep deprived. Do I do that at night? Probably. Do you? I, I'm going to start putting up cameras. Do Ooh. I go and try to climb a wall dividing the nation? <laughs> the and it's just like you, the fence in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> and that definitely mo- does make a lot of sense. I just, it just, I found it interesting because Ayaka, Kaya, Fremene. I mean, really, everybody's families did. No one yeah, really has parents. <laughs> Not many of them. Everyone's an orphan. That's how you get a vision. You have to be an orphan. You have to be an orphan. Yeah, you have to have some tragic tale to be special. Fischl's mom still makes her cold cut platters, guys. So. That's true. Her parents are completely alive. Zhang Ling learns how to cook from her dad. They're not all orphans, is more so. <laughs> Technicality. 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 The orphans on the inside, fiends. Everyone's an orphan <laughs> on the inside. Everyone's lost somebody, damn it. Just to confirm, Fremenet got his vision under. The... Under the seat. <laughs> no, I meant under Arlecchino. And so it's possible that once Arlecchino gained power at the, you know, the House of Birth. Well, we don't know if it was the OG name or Arlecchino. Ah. That at least I don't remember reading as specific. There could they could have noted it. No, I don't think they did. It just starts out as like that day from an A and some other children were out on an underwater mission. So yeah, it doesn't say anything about like when exactly it was and who was in charge, like which knave was in charge at the time. But the idea of Fremine wanting to save all the children is kind of reminiscent to Arlecchino wanting to save all the children in all of Fontaine because they're her people. And if Fremenet got the vision under, quote-unquote, the tutelage of Arlecchino. I don't know why that makes my heart, like, a, a little bigger inside. I almost hope that he got it under the other knave, just to be like, F you, I did something without you. Screw you. Go away. I'd like to think that it, his maybe his mother was more involved in that. Like, you know, she did something so great for him, and he was saving somebody else, kind of repaying that debt. Hmm. I also think that it's so interesting that Fremenet has been in the House of the Hearth long enough that he got his vision while in the House of the Hearth. So did he get his vision prior to meeting Linny and Lynette? We don't know. But there's just so much interesting details about the relationship between Fremenet and his older siblings because of that. I almost feel like Linny is trying to undo the traumas of the old knave from Fremenet like every day. I have a feeling that if he got it before Linny and Lynette, I could be wrong. It doesn't really specify, but it does say when he's getting all these kids to surface, like his fellow orphans, that he's kind of having this attitude of like, he's not used to having all these quote unquote family members Mm. and that there wasn't any real warmth or feelings between them. He just kind of saw them all as like robots with a different outward appearance, like doing the work of the house, you know? So I would imagine if Linear and Lynette were around at the time that he would have maybe had thoughts of them because they did grow close. But yeah, we don't know for sure, but I'm I'm thinking it might be before them. So then Lynette is the next to get her vision. And Lynette gets her vision one day while her and Linny are out on some crazy mission in someone's house. And mm-hmm. they get word that the Fontanian police are on their way. They had someone basically like in the know about it as well, undercover, and now they're on their way and they're trying to get out so that they don't get caught. And they go to the back of the house 
And they basically find out that the only way they're getting out of this without getting caught is to jump off a cliff into like this raging waterway underneath them. Like it's a river or something like that. And they jump in and Linny kind of takes the brunt of the blow into the water. He like leans his shoulder in a certain way or whatever to protect Lynette. But because of that, he has the wind knocked out of him and he falls unconscious. So Lynette for probably the first time, has to be the protector. And she's able to get Linny up and, like, gets them onto, like, a piece of wood that's floating. And she's, like, really freaking out because his color isn't there. Like, she doesn't recognize him for the most part. And she's able to get them to safety and get Linny up and at him. And that's when she realizes that she got her animal vision. Well, she doesn't just get him up and at him. She literally hoists him up and carries him on her shoulders all the way back to the rendezvous point which i'm like damn lending a lot to the uh whole lynette is a robot theory (laughs) it's very chichi of her oh my god so chichi (laughs) of her and i thought something really interesting about that was they didn't get any of the like stuff that they were supposed to get from this house whether that was intel or like material goods and arlecchino's like no no that's fine you got something much better in talking about her vision. Well, no, she actually did get it. It's just that when she made it back to the rendezvous point, Arlecchino was there and she was like, oh shit, she showed up herself. Because, And again, this is sort of showing that Arlecchino cares about them specifically. When she pulled it out of her pocket, she dropped it like in the mud or whatever. And it, it sort of messed up whatever evidence they were trying to get. And she's still carrying Linny at this point. <laughs> and this is when <laughs> she collapses from carrying him for so far and falls in the dirt and messes up the evidence that the, she collected and that's when Arlecchino's like to Lynette's shock is like it's fine don't worry about that what you did rescue is much more valuable my successor <laughs> so that's the kind of what I was talking about earlier too like how do you think Linny felt when he woke up and was like oh oh I know I can't imagine he probably felt awful for days and I think he still tries to make it up every day with his attitude of everything's okay nothing's going wrong I'm fine And Lynette had her vision for quite a while longer than Lenny. Like, she had it for a a while before Lenny got his vision. And I think you can also sort of see what you're saying, Feeney, where Lenny straight up asks Arlecchino to give him a delusion because now that she has a vision, she's so much more powerful than him. She is getting assigned on these missions that are much more dangerous that he's not being assigned to, so he can't go with her. So he straight up is like, yo, can I get one of those delusion things? And (laughs) Arlecchino is like, hell no, you can't. Like, do you think Lynette would want you endangering yourself with a delusion? And he's like, well, that's true. And so he kind of gives up on that. And instead, he really just studies every dossier that Lynette receives with, you know, the instructions of her missions. Figure He sort of maps it each mission out. He knows where the best rendezvous points are, the best escape routes, and all of that. And he still goes with her on her missions, even though he can barely keep up with her. Such a dedicated brother. Yeah. And then Linny gets his vision from like a similar jumping situation, right? Mm-hmm. He's on one of Lynette's missions with her and they are chased up a tower by some people that are after them and they jump off with their wind glider and whoever's after them has guns. So they shoot <laughs> at them and it 
shoots some holes through their glider and they start plummeting to the earth it's during that fall that he gets his vision and then he uses like pyro mixed with lynette's animo power to sort of push the glider further along into a river so they don't smash into the ground why do they always fall (laughs) (laughs) why are they always falling to the ground well, like, Linny also, like, in Linny's storyline, you fall and find out that basically the person who taught them how to do magic also fell, but he died. Like, he plummeted to his death. So we know he didn't have feather fall. He didn't get a vision when he fell, guys. No, he just he died. he was murdered. And then Linny recreates it later on top of the opera. <laughs> and falls again. Yeah. <laughs> Stop falling down, damn it. And... You know, something fell on on Lynette, almost killed her when we thought Lynette was there in the Archon line with the magic trick. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> Falling just seems to follow those two around, and it's fine. Yeah. And Fremenet is obsessed with this penguin character that really wants to fly. I mean, I think they all just want to be free in some way. Right. It's very symbolic, yeah. Yeah. And you're right. It's so cute. Fremine wants to teach Pears how to fly, which aka he wants to like make him able to fly because he's a robot. And he's a penguin. Penguins penguin can't fly. fly. Well, Pear, so Pear, is it Pears or Pear? I say Pears, but I, it could just be Pear. But anyway, his clockwork penguin, as Feeney mentioned earlier, Fremine is obsessed with reading fairy tales. As much as he loves to go diving to escape society, he also, like, his second favorite thing is to read fairy tales and get lost in fairy tale worlds. When I can't go diving to escape my issues, I read a book. Right. Specifically (laughs) fairy tales, though. Like, he's not reading, like, (laughs) detective novels like Paimon. He's, like, really obsessed with fairy tales. Well, because they have happy endings. (laughs) There's this one particular book called Tales of a Snow-Winged Goose, which is funny because it's, like, Mother Goose. In that book, there's a story about Pear the the Penguin, or Pears, however you say it. In that fairy tale, it's really cute because... This fairy tale says that penguins are all from outer space originally, <laughs> and they used to travel between the stars, just flying around from world to world. So it's Lumine and, and Ether penguins? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just waving at the narwhal that they passed. <laughs> so they, they used to travel between the stars, and then something happened that caused like a faction of the penguins to fall into the icy ocean south of Tibet, and they found that the atmosphere... And Tavat was too thick for them to fly. And then they also didn't know how to swim. And so one of these penguins, who was Pear, used to constantly look up at the sky and daydream about being able to fly again. Until one day he was looking down and he saw the stars and the night sky reflected in the water. And so he dived into the water and he realized, oh, I can fly. I just have to fly underwater. And that's sort of the legend of how birds first began to swim and splitting between, you know, the air and the sea, like their lives between the air and the sea. So that's like one of his favorite fairy tales into that. And so that's what he created his clockwork penguin to represent. And he dreams of one day upgrading it to make his clockwork penguin, you know, actually able to fly. You want to know what's really interesting about that, though? Is the entire time you were telling the fairy tale story, all I could think was how similar it sounded to like how Ether or Lumine's stories could go. <laughs> and it makes me remember that Nahida put all of her IRL things into fairy tale stories and kids' books. It's an allegory. And it's very curious. Like, are you saying that the traveler has to fall into the abyss to find their wings? Is that what happened to Ether? Mm. 
That's deep. Is that what Lumine has to do next? Right. Or, well, if you're me, who plays as Lumine? I don't know. It's just like, I don't trust any fairy tale or kid story in this game. Yeah. I know. I know. It's a good point. I mean, there's a lot of stories just, I mean, IRL that have some sort of, you know, explanation for something real. So it, it is a common thing. Yeah, I think you have a very, very interesting point about that because she's very specific about the fact that no one would go and look in a children's fairy tale to see the truth. Just from an A. Right. Yeah. Just from an A. <laughs> and maybe Yaimiko. But that being said, I did want to touch on one other thing that happened in the Archon lines. We're kind of going in like a little bit of a chronological order right now. I, you know, would laugh at the fact that Siege Ween shot Lenny with the tranquilizer gun. But whenever I think of that screenshot of him, like that that image of him getting shot, he is just so angry. But he's angry because he thinks his family is at risk. And from an almost dying must have been so traumatizing to these three who have created such a familial unit, who really have never known, at least from Ine, has never known like this type of love before. I can't imagine what that was like for them. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can imagine that would be scarier to Linny is if it had been Lynette instead of from Ine. <laughs> yeah, who was like out having tea with someone, Risley sent her to have tea with somebody, I don't remember who. I think it was Clorend. Was it Clorend? Well, Clorend was saving from an A. Yeah, but she was coming back to report because she was the one that went like, baba, karate chop, <laughs> Leonard Nimoy pinch. I thought it was Navia to figure out the people who were actually behind this stuff. Am I crossing a story? You might be. I think okay. Lynette was just like having tea with like a random person who worked in the palace okay. of Maropide or fortress of Maropide, Maropede, whatever. Marmalade? Marmalade. Yes. Marmalade. Marchusius. Macaroni. But after the Archon line ends, you know, we know that Linny and Lynette try to get involved a little bit with like the cleanup and Fremenet. They all helped when the flood happened. We know Linny eventually goes on to hold a free magic show in Poisson for the kids who were affected by the flooding and lost family members. And that brings you to Linny's storyline, which... I think we can sum up pretty quickly, but it's very interesting because it gives a lot of backstory to why Linny and Lynette know magic in the ways that they did. So we run into Charlotte one day, as we do, and Charlotte starts telling us about the Phantom Weasel and how it was this wee guy named the Weasel, quote unquote, was a phantom thief that existed 10 years ago. He stole from the rich. He stole from the poor. It didn't matter who you were. He wasn't like a Robin Hood character. And... 10 years ago, no one could catch him. And one day, a very famous magician named Caesar was, or Cesar, I don't know, was doing a magic trick where he was going to be in this like cage box in the sky and he was going to escape it. But he didn't. He died. <laughs> he just plummeted to his death. And it was assumed that it was an accident. And when they went and they looked at his like house and they looked at his like not laboratory, but like his headquarters where he did a lot of his work, like his studio. I don't know what you want to call it. Magic shop. <laughs> Magic shop. They found out that he had all of this stuff that had been stolen from the people. And they assumed that Caesar was this phantom thief known as the weasel. So 10 years ago, they thought case closed. This is great. Caesar had an apprentice named Lorenzo who went on to become rich and popular. And he also had a fiance, Gemma, who to this day 
still goes once a week to his gravesite over where Navia's dad's actually buried as well. She cleans off the grave and then basically like cries at it once a week. And so Charlotte is telling us about the situation, how she's trying to find out more because a note was left on the opera house saying that basically like the weasel's back and he's here to take away what y'all took away from me 10 years ago. And of course, out of our peripheral vision, we could see Linny doing a magic show right outside of what I think is his apartment, or at least where he lives, <laughs> to a bunch of kids and parent and their parents. And we decide we're going to go talk to Linny about it. And it's really cute because this one kid, Linny, can tell that he like must have run away or like snuck out to be there because his parents aren't there. He's the only kid without a parent. And the kid is like, how do you do magic? And he's like, oh, don't you know? Magicians are all telepathic. And he convinces this kid that he can read his mind. And he tells the kid to like go home and like get lost, basically, like before you get in trouble. So then Paimon's like, oh, my God, you're not really telepathic, are you? And we're like, no, Paimon. And he does a magic trick where he makes this one flower appear on the traveler. And Charlotte's like, oh, do you always use that flower? Because like most magicians use roses, like use the rainbow rose, which is a sign of romance and like lust and love. But the flower that you're using is a symbol of separation. Did you know that? And it was like, oh, shit. Called out. (laughs) Literally, Linny was like, use the brain from your sibling. Here's that flower. (laughs) So then Linny's like uh no i had no idea but you know what i'll buy the like fontaine field guide to flowers later and i'll figure that out and we asked lenny if he's heard about the situation he says oh yeah i've heard about it and i have to figure it out because i feel like this person is after me and we're like lenny why do you feel targeted and he says like i'm supposed to have a magic show there and if people feel threatened they're not going to come but also i'm like the big magician now and i feel like i need to figure this out and we're like uh okay your sense is a little not logical but we'll help you so the first thing that lenny decides we're gonna do is that we're gonna go and we're gonna talk to Gemma. so we go to this grave site that i mentioned earlier and we wait for Gemma, and we talk to some people who are there and they tell us that Gemma's usually here by now and that she's running really late, and that she really is upset that her fiancé is dead. Cue Gemma walking up in an all-black outfit, like, never seen that in Fontaine before, and she has an in- like a very visible injury. She has a wrapped arm, or a wrapped wrist, I guess. I don't know how far up the wrap goes <laughs> on her arm. We try to talk to her. She does not want to talk to us, and she refuses to tell us how she got her injury. So the next day, Linny is able to set up a meeting for us to meet with Lorenzo, who is Caesar's old associate, who's a very angry man. He's not happy that we're there. He thought he was just meeting with Linny. We try to get some information out of him and totally fail. He does not want to tell us anything. He thinks that we're stupid for looking into it. Caesar is dead. And that's when we meet Edmondo. And Edmondo is a drunk who is a business associate of Lorenzo. And Edmondo kind of is like drunk blabbering about how you don't want to get on Lorenzo's bad side. And he's never had a girlfriend in his life, even though he's almost 40. And he says something like he was turned down once by a girl. And that's when Lorenzo was like, shut up and go away or I'll never do business with you again. And then our whole conversation basically ends there. Lorenzo leaves and Mondo leaves. We go to try to find Edmondo. He won't tell us anything. And that's when Linny and Traveler both get this feeling that they're being watched. And we leave the city so that if we do cause a scene, at least the guards won't be summoned. And we're attacked by these, like, this group, like another mob. But they're not the Spina. And one of them's name is, like, Smooth-Faced 
Pacino. And the other one's name is De Niro. Like <laughs> Robert De Niro? And Al Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird. But it's so good. So we fight them. We win. And my favorite part about the whole fight is Linny going, I'm not really good at fighting. And I'm like, bitch, you're a five star. Like, what do you mean you're not good at fighting? I'm a lover, not a fighter. And you do these secret missions. He's like, it's my cat. <laughs> oh my God, no, stop. <laughs> when I read about the fucking cat. <laughs> it was an actual cat. <laughs> do you want to tell talk about the cat? I'm assuming that the weaponized cat isn't his real cat. It is. It's, it's in a puppet. It like crawls into a puppet shell and does things. Oh. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah, so that Lenny has a cat named Rosalind. And I didn't realize <laughs> that apparently there's just a bunch of cats at this orphanage. And I don't know if it's Lenny who's like bringing them all in and adopting them. But um, there's one in particular that's very fond of Lenny's hat. <laughs> and is always trying to get inside it and throws a fit every time Lenny has to like take his hat to go do something. So <laughs> it got to the point where he was like, this cat is like freaking out every time I take my damn hat. So he created another hat, but that didn't work. The Rosalind was just like, well, now I'm going to throw a fit anytime you take either hat away from me. <laughs> and so to get around this, they built this little puppet that they put inside of Lenny's hat. And the cat will like climb inside it and it's sort of designed to be a cushion for the cat. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it just is like a part of his, you know, magic show. Like it's a part of his act now. And it like saved the day for him the one day where he like left a card backstage. And next mm -hmm. thing you knew, the cat was like on his shoulder with the card. <laughs> so ridiculous. I, I mean, I wonder if maybe Lynette is unconsciously communicating with the cat. <laughs> Well, they do kind of give the idea that she, like, attracts cats, kind of like Keo does in Fruits Basket. Yeah. Because she says that, like, one day, like, she was, like, sitting outside, like, when they were kids and they didn't have a home still. And, like, that the cat was just, like, cats would come and rub up against her knees and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, like, with Goro, Goro can speak dog. Right. So it's totally possible. Or, I mean, it could also just be within Linny's blood. The cats are just sort of like, ah, uh, family. <laughs> Linny's like, I may not look like a cat, but I love the cats. Yeah, I still have cat blood somewhere in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so stupid. Uh, <laughs> it is stupid. So, so silly. <laughs> like, I love it, Like, but what? <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, so we beat these guys, and they're like, ugh. These ones aren't going to be as easy to keep quiet as the woman. And that's when we realized that these guys must have roughed up Gemma. So now we're like, cool. Well, we can tell Gemma that we beat them up and that we survived and that we can protect her. And maybe we'll win her over and she'll talk to us. So Lenny's like, cool, let's go. We find out that he actually had Lynette like stalking Gemma <laughs> and that we should be able to find them having coffee together and we do they're at the cafe having coffee and we tell Gemma what happened and we're like we beat them up we protected ourselves we can protect you and she kind of has like this breakdown moment where she basically says that she's been afraid to talk up but they've been bullying her for 10 years and anytime she tried to look into Caesar's death like they would come and stop her and threaten her and so she was afraid to talk to people and we're like no we're gonna figure this out for you 
And so she tells us where her fiance's in like like I said, lab of sorts was his little headquarters. And she says, you know, when he died, the police emptied it out for the most part. But like, that's where it is if you want to go check it out. So we leave Lynette with her. And Lynette, if you talk to her afterwards, is like, I won't let anything happen as long as I'm here. And you're like, oh, shit. All right. (laughs) Meanwhile, she's actually just eating a lot of desserts. (laughs) Yeah, she like tells Lenny, she's like, if I'm staying here, I'm getting dessert. (laughs) Delicious (laughs) macarons. So we go, and it's actually, like, a domain, and it's really cool on the inside. It's very pink, and there's balloons, and it's a very fun little location. And Linny finds something interesting at one point, and he tells us to go on without him. And we go up, and we kind of find Caesar's office, and we're reading his diary, where he's kind of talking about how he did some of his tricks, and he specifically talks about the fact that these two kids like came up to him and asked him if he could teach him how to do magic and that he could tell that these kids had seen some shit basically and he really wanted to help them and he was only able to help them for like 10 days learn magic but he was impressed because they kind of already had a good like hang on what magic was and how to do some of the little tricks and things and as soon as you finish reading this diary entry Paimon looks at you and goes it kind of sounds like he was talking about Linny and Lynette and you're like yeah (laughs) you're right Paimon like for once Paimon totally took the words out of your mouth (laughs) and we go back down the Linny and we try to ask him about it and he's like this is the box that he should have used and we're like what and he's like caesar like the box that he used like in his final gig that he died in like it was the wrong one this is the one he should have used and he goes on this whole like tangent about how caesar was a lefty but because people would notice he's a lefty some of his tricks would be made with the idea of him being a righty and that the box he was using because it was such a severe like trick and he, his life would be at risk that he put the button on the left and that he would have needed the button on the left because if you panic, your instinct is to use your dominant hand. But the one that he used in the accident that killed him 10 years ago, the button was on the right. And so the, he has this realization that someone switched the boxes to try and kill Caesar. And he goes, I think it's Lorenzo. And we go to walk away to go find Lorenzo. And of course, there's Lorenzo with Pacino and De Niro and they decide they're going to fight us and we win and we get Lorenzo to confess and he gets arrested. We go to let Gemma know and Gemma is like super grateful, blah, blah, blah. And she kind of says something that she like always oh, suspected that Lorenzo could have been involved, but she wasn't sure. And Lenny's like, hey, no, I'm just really glad that we were able to help. And, you know, this show that I'm putting on tomorrow, I'm actually doing in Caesar's honor. So I'd love for you to come, like, free tickets for all. And he looks at us, and he's like, and I especially hope to see you there. I'm like, cool, we'll be there. So we get there, we're all excited. It's only Linny doing magic, so Lynette is sitting with us. And in the middle of the show, Lynette is like, so how does it feel to be a backstabbing bitch, Gemma? (laughs) (laughs) That may not have been the exact words, but it was... No, I'm pretty sure that was that, it. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. exactly that what was she said. Verbatim. Verb fucking verbatim. <laughs> that was the vibe. And Paimon's like mouth drops and she's like, Lynette, what, what is wrong with you, basically? And Lynette's like, well, Gemma knows what she did. We'll talk about it in a minute. And we're like, uh, okay. <laughs> Gemma's like freaking out. And Lynette's just like, watch this, watch this, watch this. <laughs> watch what my brother does next. <laughs> Literally. And so then they announce that they're going to do a quick intermission and that everyone should go outside because the final act of the night is going to be performed outside. And so we go to the back of the opera house and we're talking 
it's Lynette, us, and Gemma. And Lynette's like, yeah, so you were the weasel. How does that feel to know that you were the weasel? And we're like, um, Lynette, we don't know if you like missed something because you had three desserts, but <laughs> Lorenzo admitted to being the weasel. And Lynette's like, oh, I, I know he admitted to it, but he's not the weasel. She is. He just killed his friend. And we're like, what? And then Linny shows up and very long story short, they get out the fact that Gemma was the weasel and that she also grew up on the streets as an orphan kid, but she didn't have the privilege of joining the House of the Hearth, like all these other orphans that we've talked about today, <laughs> and that she really had to find herself, find things on her own, and that she became the weasel to steal, and then she kind of scams Caesar into falling in love with her for stability, realizing that he was a poor ass magician because he gave all this money away because he would buy things to gift to kids and Lenny's like yeah we know and he's she's like what did this have to do with you Lenny why did this matter and he goes because we cared about Caesar and we always remember our debts and she has the like sudden realization that these are the kids and in Caesar's diary there's a whole entry about how Gemma didn't like the kids that he was teaching magic to and she's like a fucking course you guys are these kids I hate it here like moment and they basically say, like, we're not handing you over to the cops. You can decide what you're going to do. And that's when Linny goes outside and he recreates the stunt that killed Caesar. But he survives. <laughs> and afterwards, we're like, where did Linny go? And so we go and meet him at the cemetery again. Because that's apparently the new hangout. <laughs> <laughs> we bump into Navia. We bump into Navia, <laughs> yeah. We head over there. Linny tells us a little bit about you know, how he trained under Caesar. And that's when he mentions that he felt bad that he couldn't tell Caesar the truth about them being Fatui and that he felt like he lied to him and that they had kind of gone and met with Caesar the first time with the mission in mind of learning the inner workings of magic because they thought it would help them. And he just feels like he had this mentor that he lied to and he does have seem to have a lot of guilt about it. But then he does the same freaking magic trick with the flower. Which the whole time, Paimon's been like, maybe if we help Linny, he'll teach us how to do this. Except this time, instead of the flower of separation, he uses, because he learned, the rainbow rose. So, freaking Linny's trying to get in our pants again in a graveyard. <laughs> or he just came out of the closet to us. That, well, it depends on if <laughs> you're Ether or Lumine. <laughs> very true, very true. I mean, it's a rainbow rose. Did anyone else think of that one scene from Buffy with Robot Buffy and Spike in the cemetery boinking? No, they no. haven't made it that far in the show, Al. <laughs> I was like, what? More more, more sex in Buffy? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, we just had that point. whole episode. <laughs> we, we For travelers, we, we watch Buffy on Wednesday nights because I've never watched it. <laughs> And for those who are wondering where the hot spot of the cemetery is, you just go down the beach and turn right at the guy who's stuck in the fucking beach. The guy <laughs> whose head's sticking out, Henri, who's buried himself alive in the sand. <laughs> with the chicken. <laughs> yeah, with, with his plate of fucking chicken. <laughs> I can't. And so the final part of the quest is us deciding to go catch up with Charlotte and Charlotte's all hype. She's like, yes, you guys figured it out. I'm so hyped. And she says that she found out that Gemma like 
went to the police and like admitted that she was the weasel and stuff like that too and paimon goes uh finally and lenny lynette and lumine our our traveler all look at her like shut up paimon and charlotte's like what do you mean finally is there more to the scoop (laughs) tell me and we get out of it and lenny and lynette thank us and the storyline ends so i wanted to mention that i don't know if they made it clear in this story quest or not like i'm not sure if it was lenny and lynette or more lenny who figured it out that it was Gemma, but it would make sense if it was lynette who kind of deduced it first you know figuring out that Gemma's a snake because she is like particularly skilled as a character at noticing details about people from you know like within the shadows that she's always hanging out and she's like kind of always in the background but she's extremely observant and there's a little story about her where she actually once blackmailed a fontaine official because she found out that someone that worked for fontaine was going to do a cash flow review of the summer food hotel (laughs) aka the house of the heart and of course you know they're like shit we can't have that so she blackmailed that person's boss because she had figured out from a previous show at the opera house that he had an affair with a socialite so she basically was just walking around with that in her pocket that information and was like oh we're gonna get you know reviewed like an audit basically well guess what I'm going to blackmail the boss of this person. And that boss called the whole thing off. So they got away with it. So that's sort of like one of the shady activities that she's sort of responsible for, I guess, within the orphanage. Being very observant and keeping the orphanage out of trouble. You know what's cute about that too is she uses that skill with her brothers. And she has this line where she's like, yeah, like I noticed from afar when like Linny cuts his finger or Fremine looks particularly upset. And she says, I won't do anything in the moment, but, you know, I'm there with a Band-Aid later on when he needs to refresh it. Or I'm there with a cup of tea to chat with Remine and see how he is. Yeah. So she's like doing her own own thing to sort of take care of everyone as well. Which just makes me love these three so much. Like... I didn't expect to like the siblings as much as I do. I knew I was going to like Fremine right away because I thought he was Albedo at first. So, sold. But just like, they are this little group that cares so much about one another. And they each have such deep personalities and complex personalities that I didn't expect to come out of a magician. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> You're like, <laughs> these big feelings come out coming out of this corny-ass magician. Literally. And like, he's, and like, to find out that Linny is such a romantic at heart, too. Like, what? Like, he's probably reading all these late novels from Yainiko. Like, I don't know what to say about it. What if he's a Miss Hina fan? Oh, he probably loves Boru. Mm. <laughs> Unknowingly. But one other thing that we get from these siblings that I did not expect is we get a lay of the mental health land of Tabat. And that mostly comes out of the event with Fremine. But we find out that the House of the Hearth is like plagued with loneliness syndrome, which is basically severe depression. And Fremine like says that he doesn't have loneliness syndrome, but he definitely seems to say that he might have used to have it or that he's just used to dealing with those who have it because so many people are depressed in the house of the hearth. Ah, yes. I don't have chronic depression, but I do also have chronic depression. 
<laughs> but I've had chronic depression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From reading more about him, I actually think he might just have like debilitating social phobia, like social anxiety, mm-hmm. as opposed to like the more like life threatening depression. But Tiff, you have an interesting theory about him. Yeah, I actually think, and especially from the event with the Thelxie's Fantastic Adventure event, he has some specific little ways about him. That social anxiety, he puts his diving helmet on to kind of escape when things are a little bit to deal with or like things are a little too loud and that kind of stuff. And it really feels like he might be representing like the autistic spectrum, which is really interesting and kind of cool for the game developers to kind of add into this game to have more complex characters, but also to make the characters a little bit more diverse and open for other people. And I I think especially when it comes to if you take yourself out of the lore and stuff into just the game and stuff and having that escape, I think having another character that has some of your same mannerisms or quirks or uh, ways about you is just a great thing to kind of see yourself represented. So I I think that a lot of the pieces in this kind of like Joe that he could be potentially in that space. Right. He's one of like the handful of characters that are coded to possibly be on the spectrum. I would say like I think Alhitham is on that list. Albedo. There might be one or two others that I can't think of off the top of my head, but I know I'll hate them. And then obviously I know everything about it. Yeah, I would say that Fremenet is probably the first that I noticed it. And I can't say that I ever noticed it in I'll hate them or Albedo. Oh, interesting. See, maybe it's just the content that I get fed on my feeds, but... I knew Albedo right off the bat because of the way he interacts with people. He has just this mannerism about him where he's not here for that and he's not going to listen to it. And... Alhatham, most people think because of his headset and needing to have the silence slash drowning out the world around him in a similar way to Fremine is doing, or even in a similar way to Albedo does when he goes to Dragonspine. So it is interesting because I think for me, Alhatham was the first time I really noticed it, but Fremine is definitely has a stronger coding. Yeah, I never caught that with Alhatham, I will say, but I did get those vibes a, a little bit more with Fremine, especially because it's so extreme. Like he gets overstimulated, he puts on a diving helmet <laughs> and dives deep into the water where no one can be around him. I feel called out. I feel called out. Until he calms down, you know, he's like, no, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. Goodbye. But I do. Yeah, I like what Tiff was saying. I think it's fun for them to sort of explore having maybe a little bit more like, you know, neurodiversity uh, expressed in the game to a degree. Yeah, and especially in this event where we we do find we have a name into the loneliness syndrome that kind of comes back up in this event and we learn a little bit more about what they refer to as depression and the severity of it. They also have like a, like a disorder where they hallucinate in this game now. I forget what they call it. Wasn't that part of the loneliness syndrome? Uh, it was like they were like you you have delusions. Yeah. Not to be confused with capital D delusion. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we keep referencing it a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the Thelxie adventure. Thelxie's fantastic adventure. That I remember getting a message from Brandon. He was like, have you done this yet? And I was like, no. And he goes, this is the saddest storyline I've ever done. (laughs) It is. It is. It's the saddest storyline. It's the saddest quest line in the whole game. Yeah. And I feel like it hits you. Like, it's dark. you kind of know where things are going. We're talking about depression. We're knowing these things. But, like, really, when you get to the penultimate part of the story, it's like, holy fuck. 
Like, what you doing to me? <laughs> right? And we've gone through multiple... I mean, the, the trio are orphans. And spoiler alert, we get to see the other side of the coin where a parent has completely, utterly faced the worst thing that could ever happen, and that is losing a child. Yeah, and losing a child to loneliness syndrome and then getting it herself because of her lost child. And it's so tragic. I think that's that's the side of it. Like, he he was all-encompassed with loneliness syndrome. He actually even died of suicide. And he's like an eight-year-old little boy, and he put seashells around him and walked out into the ocean. And it's devastating. Like, it's absolutely devastating. Right, and you realize that the mother this whole time who had convinced you that he was just depressed but still alive, and you're trying to, like, help, you know, create this fantasy world, like, making his fantasy world, like, into more of a reality for him, and then you realize that he's been gone this whole time and that she's actually was, like, having her own delusions because of her own sadness over it. And it was just so, like... Such a gut punch where you're you're like the last thing you expect. I mean, this game continues to get darker and darker yeah. with every region, but you know, I never would have expected when you first started playing this game that there's gonna be an eight-year-old in it who dies by suicide later. Like it's shocking that they went to that place. One of the saddest parts too is like the whole event is based around the fact that Fremine was tasked to make this woman's son like a little pear, like a little penguin of sorts, and that's Delxy. And later on, when we get the whole gist of what's actually happening and we find out that the woman, you know, the mother is at this point past loneliness disorder or loneliness syndrome where she's having these delusions, she's convinced that her son is still alive. And we give her Thelxy and she sees her son in the penguin robot. Uh and oh my she gets to say goodbye and he gets to soothe her and it is so emotional it was almost it was too much yeah and even to the point with the details of the event screen in the game after you finished it changed from where felxy was to the little boy Uh, just was a constant gut punch it was, you know, it ended up being a beautiful kind of moment of clarity and kind of closure for this woman because she went from, you know, staying in her house and not doing, not kind of, she was an artist and she just kind of secluded herself. She was back to her life of being back into the city and doing her thing. So you see going through this, I think that the family doctor that we run into calls it like guidance therapy to kind of help bring her through this situation. Mm-hmm. But I think like if we just back up just a little bit to the beginning of Felixy's story the of the event, we are given um, a task to go talk to the Fontaine Fishing Society and Delaroche, who is the head over there. And she's concerned about some missing fish. And she goes on to ask us to go kind of go look into what's going on with the missing fish. But she warns us about these stories of water imps and how a month ago these water imps like took a child, like that they lured a child into the sea and like all this crazy kind of stuff. So when we head on over to the area and we find out that it that Fremenet's there, we're like, oh, oh, it's just Fremenet diving. Like people were just confused. It had to have just been him going into the water and things like that. Kind of the whole part, we, we kind of already, I won't rehash what we've already said there of 
you know, Fremenet is making the Felxy and working with the mother and all these pieces. Like we kind of, we go down into the water and kind of help bring through like the actual story that that the little boy had of Felxy and what was kind of going on. And at one point, Delaroche comes back and she's just like, I'm really worried. Like you guys never came back and gave me an update. And uh, we're like, oh, well, you know, everybody thought it was Fremenet. And she's like, no, she's like, it was a boy. Like people saw him go out into the water. That's how we end up finding out that his name is Lescott. Her the mother's name is Zuri Industry. So that's how we kind of put that all together that, oh my God, this is the mom of the kid who passed. It's so sad. And it's also such a good window into getting to know Remenet better because it really provides a contrast with Remenet's personality because we had all kind of been like this poor depressed kid from an egg and then we we get to a story with a kid that's really depressed and <laughs> you're kind of like okay i think from an egg's fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like mm, maybe he's doing okay and i feel like from an egg even says that he's like yeah i'm good yeah <laughs> like and it's just a it's a nice way for him because we've already seen inst- instances of Lenny taking care of people and Lynette taking care of people. And this event was sort of like Fremenet's version of that, where Mm -hmm. he uses his own experience to empathize with the boy and that way is able to help heal the boy's mother because he has that sort of access, that insight into like what they're going through. This game just knows how to tug at the pathos every day. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, like, it leads up to a little point, too, where later on we kind of, like, Linny kind of trying to get Fremenet to have some friends and, like, hang out with us kind of a thing. And I think that this event and what was going on in it was also a way to see his character growing to be able to accept not just having Linny and Lynette in his life, but having friends. Because he's he even says it himself, like, he just doesn't know what to say to people, you know? So it kind of opens that up and kind of you see him learning and responding to it like that. There are a lot of people out there who ship from an A with Charlotte. And there's a lot of people who ship from an A and Kale. And I think it's interesting because they kind of both ships come from the same boat of Fremine is socially awkward and doesn't know how to let people in. <laughs> but, well, but they take that into different directions with the ship. So, like, some people are like, oh, well, him and Kali are really similar. Like, they're a little socially inept and they don't know what to do and they've been through their traumas and they could trauma bond. And then other people, because Charlotte has a voice line about Fremine, where Charlotte says that, Every time she meets Fremenet, she learns something new about him. And she's, like, convinced that he must have graduated from school, learning how to do all the, like, the technology stuff. And he's like, no, I'm just a kid who likes to tinker. And Charlotte's like, no way, he's so cool. And so the other half of the shippers of Fremenet with someone are like, Fremenet and Charlotte, because she sees who he really is. And she likes him for him. Uh-huh. And it's... <laughs> And they could have their own workshop of love. Yeah, and it's like she's the extrovert who's going to drag him out of his shell. <laughs> Which is really funny because out of these three, Fremenet has the most ships from what I've seen. Like, Linny is only shipped with the Traveler. Well, that's a lie. I've seen Linny sh- shipped with way too many people. I've but seen only... Linny and Risley. I was just kidding. I don't no. like it. I don't like it. Linny with Child? I've seen Linny with Child, and I don't like that one either. Yeah, and I know that, like, in your, uh, like, you started off with the UCM as, like, being, like, around, like, 22 or something. I don't. I see them all as teenagers, so that really... But he has to be 22, really. I mean, he has to be in his 20s, Lenny, based off of his storyline. Yes, yeah, like at least 20, because 
why would he have been learning magic before 10? Yeah, his minimum age is 20 because he was doing missions too at that point. Bright seems like a grown ass man though. Yeah, that's why I don't like it. I'm just saying. <laughs> like... And regardless, the best ship that Lenny has is rejection. Yeah, through the traveler. <laughs> Exactly. That's all I really want is like just he, he's so down bad for the traveler, regardless of if it's Aether or Lumine, regardless, down bad and just rejection. <laughs> I would like to draw the parallels of one Charles Dickens and, and his Oliver Twist parallels where like Lenny, Lynette and Fremine are kind of the, the rambunctious kids that are criminals and like it's a satire against like child labor and crime. But there's also this interesting take where Lynette and Lenny have like, they're done up in a very French way. And like they have the the cutesy makeup on their face. Lynette has a star, I believe, while Lenny has a teardrop. Which I'm like, are you gone to prison? Which he has. So there's this interesting perspective that they dress like high society in the above part of Fontaine versus how the second that they're found out to be Fatui, part of the House of the Heart, they are ostracized because they are no longer fit the dynamic of like being hoity-toity. We are, you know, magicians and like we're there for entertainment and we are part of this upper echelon versus you come from the sewers. It's an interesting juxtaposition that I'm hoping Mahoyo... And like Genshin gets to explore in maybe another part of the Archon quest where we where we see a bit more of, of the nave interact with that inequality because it, it is there. And I want to see more of it and to see, you know, the upper echelon be eaten by, you know, the sewer. One, I was doing Lenny's story quest and seeing like his relationship with, with Caesar and the fact that one of the reasons why they wanted to know magic was also because they were going to be able to steal from people. And I was like, this kid is the actual artful dodger, which is the kid um, Al is referencing from Oliver Twist, from Charles Dickens Oliver Twist. I'm going to sit there like, yeah, you, this is what you're trying to do. You're just trying to scan people, you little fatui. <laughs> you little fatui. You little fatui. I also, like, the moment I found out that they were fatui, like, my immediate reaction, knowing that not all of our friends who had done the story and stuff and I had been avoiding all socials and stuff to make sure that it, the, the story wasn't ruined for me. The moment I saw it and I knew we were going to be doing this episode, I immediately messaged B and, and Fiends was like, can we yeah. just call it the Fatui and Fontaine? <laughs> I was like, so like, I can't, I had like 25 different names because I was so taken aback by. You mean that this episode? This episode, yeah. Hell yeah. Because we knew ahead of time what <laughs> we were going to do. Fatui. Yeah. Like the Fatui meat fontaine. <laughs> the Fatui, what do I call it? The annex? <laughs> the, the extension site. Because what do you call the, the extension site off of Mondstadt? The Thousand Winds Temple extension. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's the House of the Hearth extension site. <laughs> Can we just talk briefly about how Lynette is a robot? She's not, though. She's not. Are you sure? Because I'm yes, not convinced. It's in her story that she just pretends because she doesn't want to deal with people. Yeah, it's like her way of being like, I don't really want to answer you so i'm going into shut off mode it's such a weird quirk because yeah, 
she could just like disappear but she's like standby mode like she has yeah. these little things <laughs> she that she, she says <laughs> that she does it on purpose because it's so off-putting to people when they're like trying to talk to her and then she like just pretends to be a robot that's shutting down and it's like okay and it's funny because like charlotte she says that she's calm and expressionless like a clockwork doll. And <laughs> Lenny tells you if you can't get Lynette to, to talk to you, like if she's not in a talkative mood, to say activate chat mode to her and she'll start talking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it gives a whole other idea to when we... And, and granted, we, we found out more about Catherine in the Sumeru Archon quest. But if you go by Catherine and don't talk to her, occasionally you see like rebooting or like something <laughs> very robotic. So it was yes. like, okay, is she another Catherine? <laughs> yeah, it really makes you think that. Yeah, I think it's just really a trauma response. Though, yeah, you know? I hope she gets a hangout at some point and they address that. <laughs> I mean, I think every four star should have a hangout. It's not. Fair. I really expected, I fully expected, kind of like what Feeney was saying at the beginning of this episode, that we were going to find out that Lenny's sister had died and he had her recreated as a clockwork mecca and that she, you know, he was just like pretending like she never died. <laughs> like Fremenet actually made her. Yeah. Like that yeah. is the kind of like dark steampunk type of vibe that i thought they would go for and you know they gave us the darkness but in other ways <laughs> i mean it's also weird because like they make it very clear that they're like this th the three siblings but then like fremenet was like nowhere to be found in the storyline and then like even in fremenet's event like there's no mention really of Linny and lynette it, i don't know it's giving me like a weird like they're the best family that ever was but they don't really talk about one another, except, for, like, I don't know. I feel bad for Fremenet sometimes. I feel bad for Lynette. She's got shit. <laughs> Fremenet had an event. Linny had a story. She's got what? Sidekick. Yeah. She almost died. Yeah, but they almost, almost died. I think, though, like, with Lynette, I don't feel nearly as bad for her. Like, I know so much about her where I don't, like... I'm like, oh, yeah, she's a big deal. She's, like, had her vision first. She went on all these crazy, terrible, scary missions. Like, I don't know. But also, I'm biased. I like Fremenet more. I love how um, lazy Lynette is. Mm -hmm. Like a cat. But I think it's funny because she basically cannot be trusted with anything mechanical or she'll break it. And it's a little unclear if... <laughs> that is by accident or not because at this point she's broken so many machines that she is excused from all housework like Linny and Fremenet have to do all the housework while she just sits around drinking tea yeah I think Fremenet has fixed the vacuum three times yeah so I think that's hilarious because it's like is she doing it <laughs> by accident or is yeah. she like she just found a fun way, sort of like pretending to be a robot to get out of talking to people. She is pretending to not be able to be around machines without breaking them to get out of house for can you imagine Fremenet walking in one day and she's there with like a sludge hammer breaking yeah. the vacuum? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, Really, Lynette? Really? <laughs> this is why I've been vacuuming the house. <laughs> she like rough like messes with her little bow on her outfit and like some nuts and bolts fall out of it. I would where <laughs> they just find some in the bottom of her teacup they're like why do you have a screw in there and she's like beep boop <laughs> she's like power saving mode <laughs> i think that like she literally she says in the storyline when she's like tasked with watching Gemma. once they realize they might be in actual danger she's like exiting rest mode 
nothing will happen. I'm like, okay. (laughs) But I do think that's all the time we have for today. I don't think we have any time that could be enough to talk about these three. There is so much that goes into them. And I feel like I personally could gush about their found family trope for hours. But thank you, travelers, for coming with us into Fontaine and taking a deep dive into one of our favorite trios in the game. If you like this episode, you can feel free to email us at talesatabotpod at gmail.com. Or you can follow us or DM us on Twitter, talesatabot, or Instagram, talesatabotpod. Next week, we are going to be talking about the Wanderer's Troop and the resolution of the Sojourner as told through the Wanderer's Troop artifact set. Until then, safe journeys, travelers. We'll see you next time. Bye, sleight of hand nerds. We will <laughs> see you down at the... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see you up. Thank you.